All right, we've been in, um, this is part six, guys, of a series called, oh wait, I didn't say translation. If you don't have translation yet, there we go. If that's you, there's an app. Um, what's the app? Discord. Discord is the app, but they have equipment. and they have, So that's all available today. We have Michelle back here in the back and La Mesa and La, and La, and La, La Trace. Michelle, here to help you with translation. Okay, part six today, guys, of a series. We've been looking at what it is to be called, what it is to be called. And I, I want to recap. I'll do this quickly as possible, but I like to recap because if you uh, weren't here before, it, I think it's helpful to catch a key point. But there's a funnel system, and we started with that. We heard about discipleship. And in, in terms of what it is, one funnel is addition, and we do a lot of that. I've done a lot of that. But Jesus also gave us a strategy of multiplication where he poured deeply into three and 12 and 70 and 500 witnesses, and then they go out and, and affect the whole world. And so there's typically addition and hopefully some multiplication. This is a place that we do both. Uh, we love math. And we'll take math of all kinds, but that's what we started with. We all understand we're to go and make disciples. Secondly, we looked at what it is to be a field ambassador. And this is all from Matthew chapter 10. If you haven't read Matthew 10 in a while, please do. It's the most read book of the New Testament, been used for discipleship for 1,700 years or more. And written by Matthew, the tax collector, one who was rejected by his community, had a difficult task, but he wrote this around A.D. 60, and around A.D. 65 was martyred. But what it is, Jesus draws people to himself. He drew Matthew to himself. He draws us to himself, and he invites us to see, and in Matthew chapter 10, what Jesus sees he looks out and he sees people that are harassed and helpless and they're spiritually neglected. And so that he invites us to see what he sees. And that's an important place to start because we won't have the compassion of Jesus uh, on our own. It'll be because we've spent time with him, we've come to him, he's changed us, and then we begin to see the world as Jesus sees it. He sends us out. And I share with you just what it is to live a daily life, to be faithful one day at a time. Do we have that, what it is to be sent? I'm sorry. There we go. Uh, that's the next one, but you got one, love God. There we go. Love God, love people, make disciples, have intimate relationship with Christ. Intimate relationship with Christ. That's what we have, right? We're living our lives obedient to the scriptures, continually searching, continually looking to grow, mature. We live in community. We don't isolate ourselves. We love, we serve, we give, we praise. We're faithful one day at a time. Not, not any, anything grand in that. It's just that we're living out life as an ambassador, as, as one called by the Lord. We love God. We love people. And I just questioned, you know, it, it, were there any frauds? Because it's possible to be fraudulent, to just hang out around a church and 
and maybe not be intentional, maybe not be living like this, and we're not able to, to make disciples because we aren't really practicing discipleship ourselves. The next one is being persecuted. See, Jesus sends them out, and this is again, this is Matthew 10. He sends them out like sheep among wolves, sheep innocent. They're defenseless. They need a shepherd, but he's sending them out among wolves, and that's the assignment that all of us today that would say that we are disciples, we are the same. We are sheep sent out among the wolves. And Jesus told them this, be as wise as snakes. Snakes, you don't always know they're in the room. But be as innocent as doves. It's, it is, we're operating out of a place of innocence. We're trying to be wise. We, we want to know when is the right time to speak? When is the right time just to be quiet? When is the right time to pray and seek the Lord continually? And, it, and Jesus give, gave the disciples four areas of persecution that they should be on the watch out for. There's religious persecution. I've experienced that. It's still around. He warned them on that. But as they were sent out, they could have religious persecution. They could have political persecution because, you know, not every politician is a godly politician. It's true. And there's no politician that I'm looking to save me. Talked about relational persecution, and, that, and that's probably the most common for all of us that live in Guatemala or wherever the countries I listed even before. It's relational persecution because not everybody within your family even or in your friendships is perhaps excited about as excited about Jesus as you are. And so there, there's, there's some tension there. And if you're very vocal and you're very bold, then maybe you don't get invited to the family meal. But relational tension, it's a real thing. And then worldwide per persecution, it, it happens every day. Somewhere in the world, there are those uh, who give their life for their faith, faith in Christ. It is dangerous. They have to be quiet. And, and so those four areas of persecution, Jesus gave the disciples as he's sending them out. And we uh, today have the same four. And then a question, just uh, it, it's enough to be, like, to be like your Lord, to be like Jesus. Is that enough at the end of the day? A great question to ask. Last week we talked about being fearless. We have that. Being fearless, the text assumed that you have an intimacy through prayer life, that you're learning from Jesus on your own, not just on Sunday morning, but through the week, that you're seeking the Lord. You have a private prayer life. You're seeking the Word, and, and, and you're learning from Jesus. He's telling you things in the dark, the dark here, not being evil, but being in, in your private, in your prayer life. And through that, you're receiving revelation from him, and you can't help but share it. And the scripture said, you know, you get this and then you share it from the rooftops. That was the, the flat roof. That was the platform of the day. And here today, everybody, as I look out here, you, you very likely have your own platform. You have, you have a house with a flat roof, maybe if you live in Guatemala maybe some other places. You also have a platform in social media and electronic communications. You have the ability to influence others. 
But sometimes, sometimes fear gets us. And sometimes fear for some people is because of persecution. But I asked a question last week that sometimes the fear is just that you and I have an unhealthy need to be liked, affirmed, approved. And I wanted you to ask that of yourself. Because it could be that you share everything on your social media that's funny. That's your platform. You share those things that are funny and humorous. Okay. You share your favorite sports things. Okay. You, you share things to promote your business. But you're shy, intimidated, fearful of sharing really to declare to those that are in your contact base and those that follow you, you're afraid they will not follow you. You're afraid they will not affirm you if you boldly proclaim, John 14, 6, that Jesus, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other way. No other way. No other way to the Father except through him. When was the last time you shared something that bold? Do those who follow you know that about you? That you believe that? You do believe that, right? That's pretty quiet, pretty quiet, Amy. But you, you, you have to believe that. And I'm going to move forward. We're just going to... The, the text assumes you have intimacy through your prayer life. I'm going to assume that you're amening with me. And that you are perhaps challenged, though, because you perhaps do have an unhealthy need to be liked, approved, or affirmed. It could be even that you're fearful that you will lose a friend, you will lose a finance, you will lose a contract, you will lose something else because you really aren't trusting the favor of God in your life, over your life and over your business. A God who gave you one job that will give you another job. That's who I'm I'm with. That's who I'm following. The question today as we transition to what it is to be called and have conflict. We've talked a lot about making disciples, and we should be. But here's the deeper question. Are you living as a disciple? Are you living as a disciple? Because it could be in today's world that maybe you get here today And maybe this has been going on not just recently, but for years. Someone invited you in. Maybe you prayed a prayer. And you became part of church culture. You know what it is to be around. You know what it is to attend on Sundays. Maybe most Sundays. Maybe what it is even to serve. It's possible to hang around church people. They're good people for the most part. And they're nice, and they're friendly, and the music is good, and hopefully you can tolerate the preaching, and, and you come together, and it's good, and you could have been a part of a system like that, but, but internally, are you living as a disciple? Because it's conflicted, that maybe, just maybe, you're not seeing the fruit of the Spirit manifest in your life. That maybe, just maybe, that you are stuck, that there is habitual sin going on in your life. 
You are stuck in it, and you can't break free from it, and you hear about other people who are victorious, but you are not experiencing that. In fact, maybe you have experienced a very dead religion, but you're still here. You're still hanging out. You're part of church culture. Are you living as a disciple? Let's look at Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to give you just five verses today. I'm going to read through these and then we're going to break them down together. Jesus said, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Father, I thank you today for a few minutes together to share from your word. I pray, God, this is, this is no ordinary few minutes together. The words we read today, the words of Jesus to his sent disciples, it is a strong word. May your word cut into our life today. May your word speak to us today. May your word give us victory today. May you find us actively being disciples today. I'm praying, Lord, that before we leave here today, that every person from these nine countries and perhaps someone joining us online, that, Lord, today they leave here with assurance of the presence of Jesus in their life, that they know you, that they walk with you, that they experience you continually. I pray in the name of Jesus that shackles and blind eyes be opened today. That a heart that has been cold for long, a long time, that today it is warmed to life and a dead, beat, dead heart begins to beat again. Lord, accomplish your holy will. Your, your holy will is that every person, and within the sound of my voice, both now and in the future, proclaiming this truth, would embrace it. They would allow the word to permeate their life and they would find change in their life because you are God. You are the God that is alive today. You're the God who's still speaking today. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I wanted to illustrate for you today Jesus, as he says in verse 34, we can go back to those verses, please. He said, I did not come to bring peace to the earth, but we get that 
We like to sing, let, you know, we just sing about Christmas songs and let there be peace on earth. And, but Jesus is saying, I, I, that's, not, that's not why I've come. And you're in his audience here, you're talking about an audience that's under Roman control. And they, they want to be, they want the Romans out. They want, they want there to be a military uh, conquering here. That, that's what they want to see. And Jesus is saying, I've not come to bring peace, but I did, uh, I did bring a sword. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And I went to the dollar store this week and bought a sword, and I've left it. So I'm going to have to bring that next week. But let me tell you, there's nothing, there's nothing at the dollar store anymore that costs a dollar. It's all more than that. But I thought it was worth it, but that, I forgot it, but I'll bring it next week. Because I wanted you to illustrate, I mean, the audience that Jesus is speaking to here, he's talking about a sword. They're going to be thinking this Roman sword. It's about two feet long. It's designed for close combat. That's the sword they'd be thinking of. The Romans used this from like 300 B.C. to about 300 A.D. And this is the sword. And Jesus says, I brought a sword. And he says, and, it's, and then he turns to relationship. He says, I have come to turn a man against his father. A daughter against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He, he, he pulls together here family relationships. And that this message of the kingdom... This message of the gospel, that it's going to be divisive, that the sword is going to cut, and some are going to be on the right side, and some are not. But see, we struggle with relationship, because we want everybody to come along with us. I would love it if every family member, Every family member, the family that I have left are scattered. I've got some in Kentucky and some in Florida, some in Wisconsin and maybe some other states. That, but see, I, 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 I love getting together with them. I would love to get together with them for a meal if they'd have me. I think you will. But see, I, I, can't, I can't let my relationship with Jesus depend on who comes with me. That it is individualized. That it, it does not depend on other people. It is me walking with Jesus. It is me bringing this message, receiving this message, embracing this message, depending, determining. I am going to walk with Jesus all the days that I live on this earth and walk with him into eternity. Though none go with me, if, if, if my family, even my immediate family, decided, you know what, we're walking away, I'm still walking with him. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He is not going to compete with our affections even for our own family. It would be awesome to bring everybody along. I pray for my family. I pray for family that do not know him, that do not even pretend to walk with him. I pray for family that hang around gatherings like this. But if I were a fruit inspector, I don't see any fruit. This is important. I got, you you got to get this because... 
The, the persecution that comes through relationship. We shared about that. And this message of the gospel. You see, I am the one. I am the one that has my quiet space. My time to have intimacy with Jesus. I can only do that for me. You see, I, I've been married soon to be 41 years. It's a long time. And she knows that I love her. And see, I can, I, as I walk with Jesus, I, I can model. And I can tell you, we pray together now every night. Every night. Exhausted sometimes. Last night I took a nap before we prayed. But then we prayed, and she prays for me, and I pray for her because we discovered, I shared with you recently, less than 1% of all marriages where husband and wife pray together fail, and we don't want to fail. And so we're praying together, just so you still know we're, we're praying together. But see, I'm, I have to do my walk, and we do our walk together, and then it's up to Paula has to make her walk and have her intimacy and her time in the Word, and her time in prayer. And we're encouraging each other in that, but then she's got to do that on her own. I have six children. Any of my children here today? Not on this side. Got one in the back. Got two in the back. Izzy wants to be my child too. But All right. See, I, I love my children. And while I've not been perfect... I try to model for them what it is to follow Jesus every day. But then at the end of the day, they've got to go and do the same. And they're leading their own families and loving their own spouses and loving their own children. But there's a sword. And I've got to go with Jesus if no one else goes with me. And I can, see, I can love my friends but I've got, to, I've, got to go, I've got to go with Jesus at the end of the day. And I want all of you to go. But see, I share, I'm sharing this today, and this is going somewhere today, because I, I don't want it on my hands. I think I've got to say something kind of bold today, maybe a thing or two today. But I, I, want, to, I want to have a clear conscience. I want to make sure that you have counted the cost yourself. And you know what's going on. And you're not here to play any kind of games. You're not here just because it's Sunday and you need to check off your box. You're here today because you love the Lord Jesus. And you're having intimacy with Him. And you're grateful for a nice music time of worship. And you're grateful for some time we can share together in the Word today. But you're having some Word time on your own. And you're having some worship time on your own. And though none go with you, and though you may have some conflict even in your immediate family, you're still marching on with Jesus. That's who I'm talking to today. That's the message of Jesus to his disciples. They've got imagery of a sword. It is divisive. And he's clear about this. A man's enemies, those who do not support you, those who work against you, those who seek your time and seek to distract you even from your affection for Jesus could be the members of your own household. What does that look like? See, it looks like you're, you're a parent and you're, you have a rebellious child 
They don't want to, they don't want to, there's no fruit of their life. They're not walking with Jesus. And the test becomes, you see, they don't want to come here, maybe. They don't want to gather with you. They don't want to follow you here. They want to go to the lake today. They want to go to Eritrea today. They want to go to the beach today. They want to go anywhere but here today. And you as a parent then, there's conflict there. Sometimes it's in dating relationships. That's why it's so important. Listen to me, single people. You do not even hint around becoming friendship that advances to datingship with someone who is not in alignment with where you are spiritually. It will compromise your life. It will jeopardize your spiritual legacy. You do not want to invite that kind of conflict because they will not have the same values. They will not have the same interests. They will not want to honor God with their life. They will not want to build a spiritual legacy with you that honors the Lord Jesus. My grandparents, my grandmother surrendered her life to Christ at a young age. In her 20s, the best of my memory. And by then she was married. And her husband, my grandfather, he, he wasn't ready for that yet. See, they, 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 they've grown up around church. They've grown up around others who knew the Lord. But they weren't on the same page. They were all of a sudden unequally yoked. I'm not a great farmer, but I understand that unequally yoked is where one side of the plow is pulling harder than the other. They're pulling in different directions. And that went on for my grandparents for decades. And there was a season where he wasn't as cooperative. He's like, okay, you do your thing and I'll do my thing. And they were divided on Sundays. It progressed to where she's praying for him and it gets to where he now begins to drive for her and goes with her. And he sits in the back because it's scary to sit in the front, right? Can be. You're okay today though. It's okay. Tranquilo. It can be scary. And he, but over time, over decades of time, he's beginning to move his way to the middle and then he moves his way to the front. And then one day, when he's up in years, I want to say in his 70s, one day they give an invitation and this 70-year-old man comes forward in a crowd like this and gives his life to Christ. Now, he was always a good man. And sometimes that's the most dangerous thing, isn't it? Someone who's good morally, good ethically, Follows the rules, is respectful, doesn't hurt anybody. But see, he was counting the cost. He knew that it was, it was not just something you sign up for flippantly and you, you say yes to, but he was counting the cost and probably struggling with, can I, can I even live for Christ? And he reaches the point where he does and he surrenders his life and they ask him, when do you want to be baptized? And he said, right now. And they went down to the creek. 
And they baptized him in a, in a body of water. He died in 2001, about 30 minutes before the um, Twin Towers were attacked in New York. And I got a call that he had passed. But I, I know that I'll see him again. I know that we'll be united in heaven again. Because that's what it is to live a spiritual legacy. That's what it is to count the cost and surrender your life and walk with Jesus. Counting the cost. I share that with you just because I think sometimes we, we find ourselves unequally yoked. We put ourselves in a position, young single people, where we are unequally yoked. You're frustrated waiting upon the Lord. You're looking for Mr. or Mrs. Right. You're tired of being Mr. or Mrs. Right yourself. And so you begin to push everything and march forward. And then it becomes a really difficult process to stop it. You can, but it's not easy. Exodus 20 and verse 3 the part of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me, besides me. What Jesus was saying, leave that up for a moment. Other gods, other relationships. It, see, it's idols. Jesus is, is sharing here in these verses of Matthew Two potential idols for, for all of us here today. One is family. Your family can, can be an idol for you. For you're not fully able to follow Jesus. That was a challenge of my grandmother. She was challenging that for decades. And she stayed the course. And she continued to pray. And she saw the fruit of that. Some of you don't have that kind of stamina. Let's be honest. To stay the course. And, and your children begin to rebel. And you let them distract you from the things of God for your life. They distract you. Their heart is not in it. You can't stand the thoughts of, you, know, you, you want to spend eternity with Jesus. And you can't stand the thought of a child not being with you, even though they're living rebellious in every sense of the word. And you've got a choice to make. And see, some of you are still in charge of your house. And that's where you as a parent step in. No. And you, you pray with them regardless. And you bring them. They don't get any other privileges. They've got to be with you. You're controlling the rules of the game. Is it easy? No. It's difficult. It's difficult being single and waiting. It's difficult... You're a single parent, and you've gone through a divorce, and now you've got the children, and you feel like God's even calling you. I, I don't know if I can, I need help, but yet I feel like, you know, I, I, maybe God's calling me to be single right now and raise my children. That's possible. Staying the course. Continue with the Lord, not letting any other idols, no one else, no other gods before me, no other gods besides, beside me. And I said, Jesus, Jesus lists a couple of idols here. One is family, the other is your own life. 
your own life because you were never taught. You were never encouraged. You were never given the invitation that Jesus gives. Perhaps it was a soft invitation. And you thought you could just add Jesus to everything else you have going on. You love everything about your life, your career, your educational goals, uh, the, the, uh, where you want to live, where you want to work, uh, what, the, the sports dreams you have. You have all of those things, and you just want to add Jesus to it. And Jesus gave a much stronger invitation than that, guys. I'm going I'm to pick on something today. We have a sinner's prayer. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. I have that in Spanish and English because you've probably heard something like that before. You've led others in something like that before. And you, like me, we've probably seen that work sometimes. By work, I mean there's fruit from that. But there's also, in my experience, a lot of non-fruit from that. Why? Because, see, it's based on Scripture. It's based on Bible. And someone just brought this together and thought, let's be efficient. And you, you want to be evangelistic. You, you just memorize this. You write this down. You use this and walk with this, and you go out and be an evangelist. And let's, let's see how many people we can say yes and get to repeat this prayer. Am I close? I know I am. And I know a lot of times, I know people that, yeah, they come to the conclusion. They know that there is, there is a God who created and a God who loves us. Uh, he sent Jesus to die for us. There's a heaven and a hell. And they add all those things together, almost like a math equation. And they go, like, yeah, I need Jesus. And all I have to do is do this. And see, sometimes we've said, yeah, that's all. And is there any wonder then why is there, there isn't always 100% fruit from that? See, following Jesus, it's not a math equation. You can come to the correct answer. It's the greatest question of life and eternity, but see, knowing the math and knowing the answer even is not enough. I'm afraid sometimes what it is, it, see, it's not that the prayer is wrong, that the, that the words are wrong. It's that people, and because we've allowed it and because we perhaps even let it, that people have faith in this. They have confidence in this. Where we're, biblically, we're supposed to have confidence in the Savior. We're supposed to have confidence. We're praying to Jesus. He is our confidence. And we can get all these words scrambled. But if the words are scrambled, but the heart is right, because we are, we are repentant. And there's words there, I believe you died for my sins, I, I, I um, I ask for your forgiveness. Uh, I turn from my sins. There's repentance in the words. But is there repentance in the heart? I can tell you, when I, when I fell on my knees 
that I don't think I had all these words right. I know I didn't, but I was broken. Because more than any words, there was a presence of the Holy Spirit. That's, what, that's what's got to be going on. You see, before I ever knelt down on my knees, the Holy Spirit had been at work. I was struggling. I was, I was convicted of, of the sin in my life and the stubbornness in my life. And I needed Jesus. I just I, I needed to know. I needed someone to help me and guide me. It, it, this is what I do. And yeah, it's 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 humble yourself. It's kneel down. It is ask for forgiveness. It is repent of your sins. I was ready to do all of that. I needed that. I wanted that. It began a process. Was I perfect? No. But the Holy Spirit was present. And God began to do a work in me. He did a work in me right now. And I understood just as my 70-year-old grandfather understood that we counted the cost, Luke 14, 28. We counted the cost and we we knew there was no other way My trust is in Jesus, not in a prayer. My trust is in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, that I might know him and walk with him and this year be 60 years old and still be pressing forward, having an intimate prayer life and be a student of the word and be a bold witness and marching forward and inviting everyone to go with me. But if you don't go with me, I'm still going. Leonard Ravenhill, he said this. He said, an experience with God that costs nothing does nothing, and it's worth nothing. He says, I don't ask people if they're saved anymore. Who isn't? From the White House to the jailhouse, everybody says they're saved. He says, I look a person in the eyes and say, does Christ live in you? That's the question today. Does Christ live in you? Why don't you turn turn to your neighbor this morning. Let's pause for just a moment. Ask your neighbor, your spouse, your friend, ask your neighbor just for a moment, guys. Does Christ live in you? Christianity, it's the only religion in the world where a man's God comes to live inside of him. And so it's a very fair question to ask, does Christ live in you? Because if Christ lives in you, then I'm going to see some fruit. If I'm a fruit inspector, there's going to be some fruit in you. If you're struggling with anger, if you're struggling with, with addiction, you're struggling with lust, you're struggling with jealousy, whatever those things are, that you're sorrowful about it. You don't want to be like that. God, help me. Crucify this flesh. Renew a right spirit within me. I want to be like Jesus. Anybody? Many people, they want a God that loves and accepts them. He is that. 
But he's also a God who seeks to change us and seeks to lead us. And some people don't want to be led these days. You want to live your life and do what you want with it. You want your best life now. But I'm, I'm still telling you for weeks now, your best life is the next life. It's not this one. It's the next one. Because you died to yourself. Christ lives in you. Then there will be evidence. There's fruit. There's hunger and thirst. You're not satisfied by any kind of entertainment. But you're satisfied by the presence of God. He, he fills my hunger. He gives me the bread of life. I thirst and he fills my thirst. And there is none like him. And so it is all other things aside. I need nothing else but Jesus. Anyone. Because there's a counter to this, and I'll summarize this, but Matthew 7, verse, verse, beginning in verse 21. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? They've done ministry. They've been missionaries. They've been ministry directors. They've served in the church. They've been on the band. And Jesus says, I'm going to declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's possible to go to a conference and be hanging around church, but is Christ in you? That's the question I'm asking today. Is Christ in you? I want no one to hear that. I want no one to hear, depart from me. I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I've surrendered my life to Christ. There's not, it's not just something pluralistic. James, James half-brother of Jesus. James 2.19. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe and, and shudder. See, some of you are bold enough to, to, to say God and say, I believe in God. Well, guess what? Every, about everybody else in your workplace does too. They got their own God. It's not enough to just say God and God creates and God is this and God is that. No, define it. It's Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. No other way. No other way. Those who follow me and or anti-God and anti-speaking anything bold and believe that there's multiple ways, they'll find out quickly. No, it's Jesus. He is what we are to proclaim from the rooftops. But the problem is, we see, we go pluralistic and, and uh, fill in the blank for God, and, and that, that's about as bold as some people get. They don't want to offend anybody Paul says in Galatians 1.10 that we seek the approval of man instead of God. That's what it is to be intimidated so badly that you seek the approval of others above the approval of your heavenly Father. Nurturing this unhealthy need to be liked, approved, and affirmed. Nicodemus, he was in John chapter 3, John 
captures the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus is at night, and he wants to know, what, how, how can I have this? What's going on? And, and, and Jesus says, no, it, it's like this, that there, you must be born again. And it's a spiritual birth. There's a spiritual happening. If you're here today, and there's no victory in your life. There's no fruit of the Spirit happening. Everything in your life is a struggle, and you're hanging out here today. I'm glad that you're here. But I'm questioning, is Christ in you? Is he the hope of glory in you? Are you, are, are you pursuing Christ with all that you have? Not just are you hanging out here in church. You wear an access shirt, but is he everything to you? You must be born again. Jesus gave the imagery of a sword. He gives another imagery of a cross. He's talking about a cross. Hold that for me while I read this for a moment. He, he says in verse 38, anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The imagery, this was, this was new in Jesus' lifetime. The, the Romans, they had perfected uh, crucifixion is a painful death it, it brought great pain great agony and so Jesus is talking about taking up your cross his disciple audience this has to be the image that they're thinking now the whole cross probably weighed about 300 pounds but just the beam itself about 100 pounds and if you're a man, 160, 175 pounds, 100 pounds after you've been beaten and you're bleeding and that's strapped to your back, and once you take up your cross, once that is attached to you, that is heavy. It is a hard burden to bear. You're taking up your cross. There's pressure upon you. And there's no coming back. That's the invitation from Jesus. Not repeat after me these couple words. It is take up your cross and follow me and know that you're never coming back. You are walking to the end. You are walking to the death of yourself. That's the invitation of Jesus. That is the invitation of Jesus. Not this soft Gummy bear, candy-filled approach, come and do this, and just, just make it all so easy. You read throughout the context of scriptures, and the invitation from Jesus was simply this, come and die. If that's news to you today, then thank God that you're hearing the news today. But the message is clear, come and die. It's no longer your life. It's no longer your career. It's no longer all of your other family. It is a Jesus who offers an invite, come follow me. And fishermen drop their nets and let's go. We'll drop the catch. We'll drop the profits. We're following Jesus. To a tax collector who leaves his booth. I've made a lot of money, but I hear 
the message of Jesus. I hear the invitation. And to, to die is to close up the tax shop for following him. To a rich young ruler, ruler, death looked like go and sell part of what you have. Go and sell everything. I've got a lot of money. Sell it. I've got career plans. Sell it. The invitation from Jesus is come and die. Come and die. Die to yourself. Die to your dreams. It is not Jesus plus everything else you want to do. It is Jesus over everything. Over your family. Over those relationships. Over your career. Over over your earnings, over your finances. It is Jesus over everything. He will not compete. He, you'll have no other gods before him. He's a jealous God. And the invitation is clear. And you will carry this cross. And it is heavy. And it is hard. It looks like this. You put that, if I had 100 pounds on my back right now, just as that picture shows, Carrying the cross, following after Jesus. Maybe I'm a single person. Some of you are. And God hasn't brought you in alignment. And you want to be married, but, but God's, God's not putting you in a place where you're, you're confident this is the godly man or woman that I'm supposed to pursue. And it maybe begins to think about, you know what? I may be single as I follow Jesus. And it's my cross, and I'm going to bear it. It may be that you're, you're following Jesus and his call upon your life. You've always thought you were going to be the best soccer player, football player, baseball player. You're always going to be all that and, and make a bunch of money and be successful and be the next Messi and be the next big pitcher and all those things. But carrying the cross is, no, it's going to look a lot different. And it's heavy. But I'm dying to myself. I want what Jesus wants. I'm following you. I'm, I'm accepting the invitation. It is no longer about me. I will die to myself and follow after Jesus. It's that single person I mentioned earlier. They're a single parent right now, but they, they feel, you know what? I, I've got to raise these children in a godly home, and I'm going to be single in this next season, and I'm going to carry this cross, and it's heavy, and it's difficult, and it's hard, but this is what it is. This is what my calling when working and fleshing this out, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. You see, too often today, we see, I have lived through church culture. I've lived through, <clears throat> through Christian culture. I know what it is to be here and even sit here today, and perhaps you've prayed a prayer, but you've discovered that it's not enough, but you don't, no one's ever challenged you, but you read the scriptures, and you know what I'm telling you is true. You're not an infant completely in the faith, but this is what this looks like. 
This is what this looks like to flesh this out. This is what the imagery Jesus' disciples are seeing. It is a sword and it is a heavy cross to bear. And when you start carrying the cross, you're not coming back. There's one direction. Anyone carrying a cross is not coming back. They're not coming back. It's one way. It's following Jesus. And there's no turning back. That's where you die to yourself. Here's what church culture has done. It's made Christianity easy. But biblical Christianity is not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy because you've died. You died. You have to have died. And that may be breaking news to many of you here today. And that's what scares me as a pastor. This message is strong. The call is strong. It is a come and die invitation. Only a false version of Christianity teaches that as long as you believe in God, you can live however you want to. That's false. That's false. The cross is heavy. The weight of sacrifice, of holiness, of laying everything down for the glory of Jesus to where he becomes your life and everything in your life and not just part of your life. And you see, if you can relate to this at all, it's going to look like this. You, know, I, I, you could say, this is my cross. This is what I am carrying right now. It's heavy. For some, see, you're, you can relate. It's heavy because I'm not with family. You're living somewhere else because you felt the call of Jesus to live not in Chile, but in Peru. Not in the U.S., but in Guatemala. Not, a, not in Queretaro, El Salvador, but in San Cristobal. Not in San Cristobal, but in Tigua. You feel, you make those decisions as a follower of Christ. You make the sacrifices that are necessary. You use the resources to follow after Jesus with all that you have because he is your everything. You could answer for me, what is the obedience that you're walking in? Christ lives in you, then what do you feel? What is the pressure you feel from Christianity? Carrying a 100-pound cross on your back, there, that, there is pressure upon you as a Christian. Tim Keller put it this way. Well, let me give you one more slide. I'm wrapping this up. Band, if you want to come up and help me, give me just a minute. But Matthew 24, you see this, this message, this message to Jesus' disciples, it is divisive. But so is the conclusion. So is the day that we're longing for, the day and hour unknown. That it will be like the days of Noah seems to be we're there. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. You see, it's also divisive. In the days before the flood, before there was judgment, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Up until the very day Noah entered the ark. Next verses. They knew nothing about what would happen 
till the flood came. And this is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. See, two men will be in the field and one will be taken, the other left. Two women grinding with a hand mill, one taken, the other one left. 50%. It'll come like that. We, we, we won't know other than you can look at the signs and you can have a whole variety of eschatology, end time theology. But it is, it is, it is judgment. And you won't be expecting anything. It is just, it'll, it'll happen. And it looks like from Scripture, the, the projection is that half are going to go and half are not. This is reaffirmed too in Matthew 25. Jesus talked about ten virgins in a parable. He said five were wise. They were ready. There were five more that were foolish. They weren't ready. They were all gathered for the same thing, expecting the same purpose. And it makes me think of a, of a church. You know, you have a church like this. And could it be that, I mean, you gather here all the time and you, you put up with me and you put up with others and you, you just have always gone to church. It's what you do. You check it off. But there's some truth in your life that maybe you did a confessionary prayer like that and you wonder back, you know, was the Holy Spirit present in all that? I don't know. Because I just... I've just kind of marched forward, and I volunteered, and I serve, I serve around here, and I, I go to conferences, and, but the truth is, there's not much alive in me, but that's, that's where you're at. You know that there is, you hear about there's more, and, there, and you want to believe there's got to be more, but you're not experiencing more. You're, you're experiencing struggle, and it's a great question, and you would admit it. You may not want to be public about it in this moment, but you're thinking, is, is Christ, is He in me? Is He in you? That's the question to ask. Is Christ in you? Tim Keller, he passed away recently, great author, pastor. He said this regard, regarding Romans 12.1, Paul's talking about living sacrifices he says, we're all called to be a living sacrifice, but the problem with living sacrifices is that they keep crawling off the altar. El problema con los sacrificios vivo es que siguen saliendo del altar. They get up. Living sacrifices. And that, that's that to me is what I see today. We, we come and pray, but we get back up and we go out and we do the same things and in living sacrifices, they tend to get right back up off the altar. And Tim Keller addressed that in, in his writing. He said the old sacrifices were no problem. You killed it, and that was it. They burned it, and it was over. But a living sacrifice, it looks like this. Every day, every hour, every moment, you deliberately, consciously, continually, perpetually offer yourself to him. It's constant. It never ends. It's intense. But he said, you're not living the Christian life unless you put to death the idea that you have a right to live as you choose. That, that's got to die. And yet he, Tim Keller, very popular in the United States, he, he said, you know what? I've never, there's never been a culture in the history of the world more adverse to the very essence of what it means to live a Christian life. 
To live a Christian life is to put to death the right to live as you choose. To put to death the idea that you belong to yourself. To put to death the idea that you know best what should happen in your life. You put to death and you give it to God. It feels like a death. You know best and I just trust you. Here's what your word says and I I don't like it but I'm going to do it. I, I don't choose anymore. Tim Keller says it feels like a death. But on the other side, it's life. That's what, it's, that's what it is to be a living sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that leads to life. And I'll close with this. Leonard, Leonard Ravenhill again, he said, the altar in the Old Testament was for sacrifice and death. If you come to this altar, come to die. Tell the Lord you're ready to lose all your rights this morning. That you're not getting back up that you've come to die. Church, I ask you today, is Christ in you? Is He in you? Because if you're not sure about that, you never heard a message like that, or maybe today it just becomes reality for you, as we're going to sing, and as we sing, I'm inviting you to come and pray. You come and come to an altar where you die to yourself. And don't you get up. Don't you get up and walk out of here until you know that you've died to yourself. Come and die. That's the invitation of Jesus. And I pray today that's what you find to be reality for you. There's no reason. He loves you. He loves you. He wants to abide within you. He wants to be more than words on a page. He wants to be that which you put your faith and trust in. It's Jesus. Will you stand with me? Lord, today we we stand in your presence. We believe you are a holy God. Your word tells us so. And we stand before you, God, as a needy people. God, trying to navigate this life and And I'm praying for the one today, Lord. They've been hanging around church for a long time. They've been hanging around Christian culture for a long time. But today, word of God, you speak. You're a sword that divides family. You're a heavy cross that we are to bear. I believe, Lord, there are many in this room today, and perhaps even online, they need to die to themselves. It's been a long time since they've knelt at an altar of prayer. But Lord, today, let us die to ourselves. Have your holy, your holy way within each of us. The Holy Spirit, you would come and you would fill us. That your fire would burn today. We prayed last week that your fire would give us a boldness on our tongue. I'm praying today that, Lord, you, you allow us to come and die. Come and die to ourselves and we'll arise. We'll arise as children of God who are alive in you, who walk victoriously and experience the fruit of the Spirit in our life because you are God and you hear us today. Honor those who will kneel before you and surrender their lives today. In Jesus' name.